You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I am Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I am here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, we're super lucky to be talking daily fantasy with Alex Santi. Alex is an MLB and NFL writer at Roto Grinders and Roto Grass. He's also one of my go-to people for all things fantasy baseball and one of the smartest daily fantasy dudes I know. Welcome to What the Fab, Alex. Thank you for having me on, Sarah. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate you joining us in like the first month of the show. And also, uh, full disclosure, I'm about to start doing some daily fantasy stuff more frequently. So I needed to pick your brain a little bit because this is not an area where I have a ton of expertise. However, before we get into the daily fantasy side of things, there is quite a bit of news around the, the league, lots of injuries, lots of different tidbits that I want to just touch base on here at the top. So many injured outfielders and pitchers at the moment. I, I'm just going to go down this list and we can talk about the ones that are most intriguing here. But just on the outfield side alone, Aloy, again, on the injured list, which is kind of devastating to me personally. Like, I love Aloy Jimenez. I was really sad when the Cubs traded him. And and here we go again, two to three weeks. Is hamstring issue, groin issue, I can't even keep up. How do you keep up? Uh, I'm just trying to keep up with my tears because that's all I get every time Aloy gets hurt. And, you know, this guy's supposed to be a 40 year one guy. Uh, he's got the potential for it. He's got the power for it. He's, you know, developing some plate discipline and then poof, it's gone. I mean, I wonder if he's going to be the Byron Buxton of Chicago. Yeah, that's a great call out. I, it kind of seems like he might be just destined to never play a full season, which would be really sad because I, I want to see what he can do. Tristan McKenzie uh, also out with some shoulder issues. That's a tough arm to replace if you drafted him uh, in the middle rounds. I, what do you think on the Tristan McKenzie front? This uh, Tepes Mayor, Major, is that what they're calling it? I think it I is, yeah. It, I want to call it the Tepes Mayor. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, but, you know, he's had it... Uh, Justin Verlander's having it right now, uh, the same injury, and we're going to talk about that later. But I wonder if this is like the high ankle sprain of baseball. Because just, you know, in football, you get the high ankle sprain with a lot of running backs, especially. And some guys, they're out two weeks. Some guys are out three months, you know. Um, 
I think that's a really great comp. The high ankle sprain is one of those injuries that you just never know what you're going to get out of it. And we can just talk about Justin Verlander right now and then circle back. I mean, he is also another pitcher who, if you drafted Verlander, you probably drafted him in the second or third round. That is very difficult to replace. And I, I did not draft a lot of Verlander, not because I don't like him, just because I thought the price tag was really high. And I, wa- I wasn't sure what was going to happen in that new environment. He's a little bit older, so I'm always a little skeptical there. But yeah, that's a, that's a tough injury for both McKenzie and Verlander. Tough on their teams, tough on the fans, tough on the fantasy owners. owners. I was the same way with Verlander. I mean, I had no fear of him getting injured again, honestly. I just I thought he would go out there and mow down like second, third round value. But at the same time, like, do I really want to spend second, third round value on Justin Verlander on a 40-year-old pitcher, 41-year-old pitcher, you know? Yeah, totally agree. Um, Speaking of the Mets for a second, they lost Omar Narvaez as well. It sounds like he is going to be out six-ish weeks, and that means they're going to call up Francisco Alvarez. So hopefully you didn't drop Alvarez in that first fab period if you had him from an early draft. I actually had to go in and change some fab bids because I was about to drop Alvarez, and then I saw the news come across the ticker, and I was like, and I'm going to swap in somebody else into that spot. This is going to be tough for weekly leagues because, you know, he can he can do some things, but, um, you know, Nito is probably going to get a lot of time. That's true, although I, I like to think if Alvarez bats play, bat plays, particularly with the trouble the Mets have had scoring recently, they might just find a spot for him no matter what. We'll see. Uh, Daniel Bard, this is definitely hurting me in a couple of leagues on the 15-day IL uh, with anxiety. This probably relates back to the issues we saw in the World Baseball Classic where he was having some troubles finding the strike zone. He has had some issues with the yips before. I that's just tough, man. Like I don't even know what you do with that. How do you how do you evaluate the Daniel Bard situation? Because even when he comes back, what's coming back? And for how long is he coming back as the Daniel Bard we want to have? You know, anxiety is something that, you know, you can't just take a shot. Um, you know, he might get prescribed something, but you don't know how long it's going to take for it to work. And, you know, on another really, really tiny, tiny footnote, um, you know, anxiety, I don't suffer from anxiety, but I know a lot of people who do. And things like breathing exercises are very important. Uh, Colorado is a tough place to breathe, no matter who you are. I mean, I've heard of, I wouldn't be surprised if guys get anxiety who don't even have anxiety. They go to Colorado just because they, you know, you can't breathe correctly, you know. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think that he did pretty well in Colorado last year, so I'm less worried about that. But I will say, as someone who has dealt with anxiety uh, quite a bit in my life, it, it it comes in waves, and it's really unpredictable. Yeah. And and the hardest thing about anxiety and managing it is the second you start thinking about it, it gets worse. And yeah. so you wind up just complicating all of the things that you couldn't do because you were having an anxiety attack about them more. And so I yeah. think that... I, I wish him all the best. I hope he comes back. Like I said, I, that's going to be really a really tough player for me to replace in a couple of places where I have him. But honestly, I just want him to be okay. I hate watching players struggle with something that they're they're better at than ninety nine point nine nine percent of the population. Of yeah, and it really it it hurts to see something like this take him take him down because again, you don't know how long it's going to take, and even when he's back out there, you don't know how well he is. Absolutely. Uh, another guy that I have in a lot of places who I'm hoping comes back soon is Lars Newtbar. And the Cardinals have like a plethora of outfield options. So I'm not really worried about the Cardinals here. There's a bunch of guys on the waiver wire there that you can speculate on. Um, but outfield is one of those positions that has been so heavily platooned across the league the last couple of years. It is not easy to find a guy who is getting both regular playing time in the outfield and putting up solid numbers around what you were expecting to get from Newtbar. What you can get is if you're in a daily league, Juan Yepes is going to play against a lot of lefties, and he's got a lot of pop. Love that shout-out for Juan Yepes. Uh, just going down the last of this list here, Joey Bart injured with the Giants. The Giants have signed uh, Gary Sanchez. So if you had Gary Sanchez sitting on your team and you were wondering what was going to happen with <laughs> Gary Sanchez, we are not a live stream show, so you cannot see the reaction that we just <laughs> got from Alex. But it sounds like Alex is stoked about the return of Gary Sanchez. <laughs> I I traded uh, I traded Mike Trout for an injured Jacob Degrom and Gary Sanchez a couple of years ago. Oh, in a dynasty league, so I kind of need I need those guys <laughs> healthy. <laughs> Pay off my trout, period. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, Derek Hall, who was supposed to get a bunch of playing time with Reese Hoskins going down, also out with a thumb injury at this moment in time. And actually, last week I put out some speculative bids on Edmundo Sosa, just kind of thinking that he would get some extra playing time. The bat has seemed hot so far. So I'm, I'm loving those pickups now because I imagine that the 2 to $6 Edmundo Sosas that I picked up last weekend are, are going to go quite a bit higher this upcoming fab period. What do you see in this Philadelphia situation? I know they also called up a rookie bat. Yeah, the Phillies have also called up Cody Clemens, who it looks like is going to get quite a bit of playing time from AAA. What are you thinking, Edmundo Sosa, Cody Clemens? Who are you interested in here, Alex? I'm kind of not interested in either. Um, I've, I mean, one one thing I thought in my head when I first read this news is like, can can Cal Schwarber play play first base? <laughs> you know, because wouldn't that be fun to have him first base eligible? Because outfield is so deep right now in fantasy that if you're a, if you're a Schwarber owner, you probably have five other outfielders who you would love to play in that spot, sitting on the waiver wire or whatever. You know, if you move into first. You know, I think Kyle Schwarber can play first base. And let's be clear, it's not like he's a sterling left fielder. I watched him play first base for Boston for like a month and a half, and it was fine. There were a couple of plays that weren't ideal, but it was mostly fine. And I, yeah, I I have no problem with Kyle Schwarber getting a shot at first base. I think that would be incredible for fantasy. I agree. And then the last uh, news of the day here, Michael Harris II hitting the injured list uh with atlanta that is super unfortunate that's a dude that you probably took in the second or third round he is definitely a guy who's contributing in all five categories what do you see for replacements for michael harris well we were talking about eli white before the show um and he's got some speed you know he doesn't really hit very well but if you want to replace some steals and you're you know he's a guy who's going to come up and he's going to try to run i mean he tried to run a few times in a short stint last year with texas and he stole 12 bases or so but um, yeah, the the big thing though is with Michael Harris. Now I think I would want to sell on him while people still think he's great because I think he is a very great talent. But we talked about you know the Byron Buxtons and the Eloy Jimenez of the world. You know this guy gets a back strain, back strain sliding into second base. Like shit, I mean, we've seen we've seen back problems devastate so many ball players. You know yeah. back, back problems don't just go away. I think it's a really um, astute observation, and I'm, I'm sure people don't want to hear this if they're very invested in Harris, but I think that back issues are an injury that is distinct from the types of, you know, high ankle sprain or low ankle sprain or yeah. normal wear and tear that you wind up with on a ball field. A couple of other news and notes from around the leagues. What do you think about these this home run spike? I see... Uh, Quite a few people out there who I talk to, I'm pretty good friends with Meredith Wills, and she's been tweeting about this a lot. Home runs are up. Do we think it's weather? Do we think it's a fluke? Do we think it's the ball again? Do we think it's something else? I think it's the lack of freezing cold weather. Um, You know, usually it could be what I've seen watching. I don't see worse baseball. Um, I'm seeing some control issues, which pitch clock can go either way. You've heard people say, you know, the, the pitchers need the extra time to throw strikes. You've heard that the hitters need the extra time to zero in and focus on whatever, you know, release points and whatnot. Um, I think they're going to cancel each other out, but what isn't getting canceled out is cold weather. Yeah, that's a great point. There was also a really interesting article that dropped earlier today. We're recording on Friday, April 7th, that sort of looked at the impact of climate change on home runs and what that could do over the long haul. Yeah, that's a former debater that I know, actually, which was really cool to see him diving into the baseball climate change research. Um, But I, I think it's interesting, you know, he points out the difference that you would see between a ballpark like Wrigley, where you have a lot of day games and a lot and no roof versus the impact that you would see, which is negligible, by the way, at a place like Lone Depot Park, where there is a roof and not a ton of day games. So definitely check that out if you're interested in contributing factors to the home run search. Uh, Steals are also up. We did expect that. Anything here that you think is interesting? The most interesting thing I've seen is just that it seems like the biggest indicator of people taking more of a risk to steal is that the pitcher has already had one disengagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen with the one one engagement from the pitcher has changed a lot of things. I think a, the biggest um, biggest surprise for me is managers taking the risk. 
we didn't know that managers would actually take the risk that the, they were being handed steals on a silver platter like here here are a bunch of steals take them if you want to <laughs> and usually when managers get something like that they're like oh well okay maybe we'll try a little bit more and but when a guy like michael harris gets on base he's running when jorge mateo's on base he's running what you know it's i think uh there's just some guys who every time they're every time second base is open they're going and that's it's amazing it's so much fun to see it is fun. It's a brand of baseball we haven't seen in a long time. And I do think it's interesting that those guys who are running are the guys who are already running. So I do yeah. think that some of those 25, 30 steel guys could become 35, 40 steel guys really fast. And how fun would it be if we had like a 70, 80 steel guy for the first time? And God, I don't remember the last time we had a 70 steel guy. I would think it would be Kenny Lofton, right? I don't Kenny know. Lofton did. Um, off the top of my head. Did Jacoby Ellsbury ever do it? I feel like he put up some really crazy numbers once upon a time. He had a 30-30 year, right? But I don't I think, think he so. did, did he get to 40? I'm not sure. I don't remember. I don't know. Anyway, it's been long enough that neither of us can remember, so it would be super yeah. fun to see. The flip side of this home run steal situation, though, is that pitching has been pretty woeful. I mean, I've got some guys that I was very confident in who are putting up some incredibly bad numbers. <laughs> early and I am hoping that's kind of a fluke right like you could have a handful of starts go the wrong way in any given week but I might have to be a lot more selective about who my two start guys are I think control is very important right now um, for whatever reason there's just a little bit more I don't know why it's uh, happening maybe it's the lack of the shift um, and hitters are getting a little more disciplined they can find their pitch and just like put it in play Um but we're seeing some pitch counts get run up a lot. Yeah, I, I noticed that today. I was at the Cubs game at Wrigley and a ton of 3-2 counts. Just like pitch counts yeah. seemed elevated early. That's a great, great point. Uh, speaking of pitching for a second, there's some real strange closer situations around the league. And some of the teams I'm about to name, we didn't really know who their closer was going to be going into the season or there were injury issues. So it's not like they're, it's surprising that we can't predict the closer. But, you know, the Astros with this Presley situation, man, I am counting on Ryan Presley being a dude. And, and it is unclear if he's even going to get safe opportunities. What do we think is going on with the Astros? Well, I've got Neris in that 30-team dynasty league, so I'm hoping that this sticks around. I don't know how sticky it is. If not, I'll get my holds. Like, I'll, I'm going to get mine with him anyway, but... Uh... <sighs> Yeah, Presley hasn't even gotten a hold yet. I, I am very nervous uh, with Ryan Presley at the moment. The Cubs situation is interesting. Michael Fulmer kind of got lit up a little bit, and then he came in today in the eighth, and I was wondering if Boxberger was going to get a shot at the save or maybe Alzali, who looked pretty filthy over a few innings the other day. And instead, Fulmer just did a two-inning save, which I was not anticipating from David Ross. I think the Cubs are going to push the envelope here a little bit in terms of when they deploy their guys. And you might see more than a handful of two inning saves from the three dudes I named. I think Adbert has a stuff of a closer. Um, he also has the uh, effectively wild pitching aspect of a closer. Um, so when he can zero it in, I think he can get a lot of saves for us. But uh, when he's walking a bunch of guys like, oh, man, it's going to be some rough shit. <laughs> and he is going to do that because that is what Adbert does. That's what uh, he does. He strikes out, what, 12 for nine and walks five for nine. So. He, he's at like 15 per nine at the moment. But I think that that is probably <laughs> because of the small sample size. And he's just kind of excited this season. Uh, the Rangers look like they might be using Will Smith instead of Jose Leclerc there. So I, I don't know if that's a trend or if that's just, you know, an individual thing. But Will Smith caught my eye this uh, this past week. What about you? I don't think it really matters. That, bull that bullpen is trash. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and then the Mets, uh, we saw David Robertson get a save early. Then we saw Adam Ottavino come in for a save situation, and the Brewers walked him off. I have to believe that that means it's probably Robertson's job, but it is worth noting that both of those dudes were considered speculable, and it's unclear who actually has the job at the moment. Buck's a smart manager, so he'll go with, uh, I mean, he'll go with, what he feels is the right guy in terms of like the stuff and the poise and all that other stuff. And I think that ends up being Robertson because that's, he's got the history. He's, he can do it. Yeah. I have Robertson in a couple of places. So I, I hope you are right. And then I just wanted to talk about this Tim Anderson quick pitch ejection situation. And I, oh, I linked God. a John boy breakdown uh, here <laughs> of it, but I'm sure you saw it. I know you're a Sox fan. Like what on earth is this deployment 
of the pitch clock rule, that was pretty trashy to me. You know, my first thought was, uh, you know, Tim needs to chill the fuck out. But then I actually watched it because uh, I just happened to not be. I think it was a day game, right? Yeah. And I wasn't watching the game, so I was, I was busy with my kids. And uh, shit, how long of a show do we have here? Um, Don't no, worry I mean, about this it. Was the, Max Scherzer was gonna Max Scherzer was gonna exploit this rule. He was gonna say, you know, fuck you guys. I am gonna quick pitch every every motherfucker who gets in that box and doesn't get set in time. He's, I mean, he used to do that all the time. It's he's notorious for it. Um, and they flipped it around and said, basically, this is dangerous. You can't have guys quick pitching 100 miles an hour at people's heads because you don't like that they're taking too much time. So that's why Tim Anderson was probably pissed off at not getting the eye contact, you know, the mutual understanding of the pitcher. And again, we're talking like nine seconds left on the clock. We're not talking four. You know, we're not talking three. We're talking like it was something like nine, nine seconds left on the clock, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, the other thing that was interesting, we were talking about this uh, in the Wrigley Bleachers today, is that if you're the pitcher, you can really manipulate when you go on the clock because you can make eye contact at nine seconds. You don't have to throw the ball until there's two seconds left. And Scherzer was playing around with this in spring training, too. It feels like the pitch clock gives the pitcher a huge advantage to throw off the timing and sequencing of the batter. Because he's got that extra six seconds. Yep. Um. And, you know, I mean, Luis Garcia was a guy, he's tightened up that ridiculous wind-up. I mean, now he actually winds up like a human being. But if he wanted to, he could go back to, you know, his little shimmies and four steps and then wind up and go. Um, so a guy can do that. They can, they can mess with their own wind-ups a lot. I, th- I wonder if some veterans, some grizzled veterans, are going to mess with their wind-up, wind-ups a lot more. I mean, why wouldn't you? It, it would give you an advantage in a situation that batters are not accustomed to. And we all know that baseball is a game that is not shy about taking advantages. Uh, that that was just a recap of where we're at through the first week of the week and change of the season. But we are here today to talk daily fantasy. And honestly, Alex, I need your help because this year for the first time, I'm participating in the Tout Wars Daily Contest. And so I, I need to know how to approach this game. I've been doing some reading on it. I've been reading some of your articles, which are great. But let's start very, very basic here. How should a new daily fantasy player like myself approach this game, which is so different from the Roto game where you're looking at categories over an entire season? You're not worried about picking a guy who was super hot that day. I think number one is bankroll management. Decide how much you want to load up onto your account. If you want to load up a hundred bucks, if you want to load up a thousand dollars, you know, uh, let's say, let's keep it really low and accessible let's say you want to put 100 bucks on DraftKings. um you shouldn't be playing more than like three or four dollars each night because the variance is so high with even the more predictable sports like basketball the variance is so high that you need to give yourself the space to lose because you will lose most of the time when you're playing any contest of more than you know 20 people in there um so number one is bankroll management number two is Find some projections, good projections, whether it be from Roto Grinders or some other sites, you know, um, and use that because computing all the shit in your head is just impossible, especially in a sport like baseball where there's so many numbers and so many variables. We talked about weather, how, you know, 10 degrees of weather can affect home runs across an entire league. Um, so I'd say get some get some good projections and then. You know, on the third, I guess the third point I would go to is work on building your lineups that make sense. Don't just try to make the best plays. You have to beat other people. You can't just make the best, you know, in seasonal fantasy, you can put together the, the best players and over the course of 180 days, right, you will probably win out if you have the best players. In daily fantasy, you need to beat, you, have to, you need to not just have the best roster, but you need to beat 20, 100, 100,000 people have a better roster than them so a way to do that is to be unique you have to have a unique lineup if you have the same lineup as everyone else like if like like tonight course field is going off right now but uh you know on a night where course field goes off you can have all the right plays and maybe only make about two three times what you put in there you're not going to win a hundred thousand dollars doing that you're not going to win ten thousand dollars doing that you're going to win ten thousand dollars when course field fails and you play the game in Miami with a couple of junk pitchers that no one wants to play. 
The uniqueness that you just talked about there is a really good point, and I'm going to circle back to it in a second. But I want to go to the first point you made at the very top because it sounds simple, but I think it's really important. You want to be playing those multiple small plays, and it sounds like from the rest of your advice, you want to be playing those multiple small plays and diversifying what you're doing in those rosters. So one of the things that I talked about on the last episode where we were talking about the Garf draft is that I went outfield first there rather than Jose Ramirez first there. And and I planned on doing it because I knew that I had Jose Ramirez first in a lot of teams, like a lot of my leagues this year. He's so safe. He's third base. Like everything was great. And Jenny Butler, who's a great fantasy player, suggested to me that I needed to diversify that. Like I needed to, you know, get in on a Julio Rodriguez, get in on an Aaron Judge, like just have something different going on than what I had done everywhere else. It sounds like you're doing the same thing in a daily fantasy contest, except you're doing it on a daily basis with multiple different rosters. With multiple lineups, yes. But when you're a beginner, I would say do one lineup a night. Okay. Just work on hand building one lineup a night. And in those situations, you're actually not diversifying. You're building correlations. The best way to make yourself unique, even if you're playing the team that everyone is playing, like Tampa or Colorado tonight, or uh, I think a lot of people are playing the Dodgers too, um, you want to have four or five of them in your lineup. If you just have one or two or three, you're going to be just like everyone else. But having that like four or five man stack changes your whole changes your whole roster and what it looks like you end up playing one or two guys this is what's huge a huge difference between seasonal and daily fantasy you have to play people that you're uncomfortable playing (laughs) because it's the only way that you're going to be unique and get a leg up on the field is by playing guys who you know maybe they have a 300 obp but they've got a 12 percent barrel rate you know the joey gallows of the world the rubinetto doors of the world for a while, Kyle Schwarber was a low OBP. You know, he's he's back. He's up to being a better player now. But when he was with the Cubs, his OBP was a little lower, and he didn't project so well. But when Kyle Schwarber would have a ceiling game, it was two or three home runs. Right. So you're looking for those guys who can be outliers. I mean, another former Cub that comes to mind there is Javier Baez, who some nights exactly. is just going to be absolutely atrocious, but every now and again is just going to go off. Every now and then, it's going to be completely electric for two doubles and a home run. Love that. Um, We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. We have a lot more about Daily Fantasy. On the flip side, I'm going to ask what some of the common mistakes are that those of us transitioning from a season-long Roto League to a Daily Fantasy League might make. And we're also going to talk a little bit about process, but first a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Before we get to common mistakes that a Roto player might make, the the other thing that you talked about there were stacks and specific parks. And and I loved what you said about Colorado because this happens in Roto too. Like the Rockies always get pushed up because you think you can stream them at home and you're just going to get all of that offensive course field and it's going to be great. Uh, it sounds like that that is a play you can make in daily fantasy, but everybody else is making that play too. Are there specific parks or circumstances that you like betting on that you think other people don't notice. I'm, I'm thinking specifically, we were just talking about the weather. Wrigley Field is a fundamentally different ballpark if the wind is blowing out than if the wind is blowing yes. in. And if you know the wind is blowing out at Wrigley, you can treat that park differently than if you know the wind is coming in off the lake. It's Coors Field and everyone knows it. So when Coors Field is on the slate, then jamming in the Wrigley Field game with the wind is like, it's easy money. Uh, but when Wrigley Field win game is on a standalone without without Coors Field, then everyone plays the Wrigley win game. So in that case, I try to pivot toward like the Great American Ballpark, which EV Analytics says is the best home run park in baseball. And I think it goes under-owned for, I think the biggest reason why the Great American Ballpark goes under-owned is because it's the NL Central and shitty teams play there. And people don't want to make the uncomfortable plays. Like, you know, we just saw Pittsburgh there. And Pittsburgh was heavily owned there, but not too owned. Like, people didn't want to play Jack Sawinski. People didn't want to play Cannon Smith and, and Digba, I think is his name, you know. Um, 
they wanted to play Brian Reynolds, everyone played Brian Reynolds, everyone played O'Neill Cruz, you know, but people didn't want to play G-Man Choi, you know. Um, so there's an edge there. Yankee Stadium, everyone knows Yankee Stadium is a great home run ballpark. When Coors Field is on the slate, they get, they get the Coors blinders, and Yankee Stadium goes under-owned. Um, when the wind is blowing out, like, extreme, I mean, nothing's like Wrigley Wind. We'll put that on the table first off. There's nothing like Wrigley Wind. But Fenway gets some wind, too, when it's 20, 25 miles an hour, and it's it just prints money, um, you know. That's a great call out on Fenway. And and two other things I really like about Fenway, I actually just picked up Adam Duvall in a bunch of season-long leagues because I just think that that's, I, that's home runs all day. Like, if you look at Adam Duvall's historic spray chart and where the green yeah. monster is and how high he hits the ball, like, he is just going to – he is going to hit a lot of home runs or a lot of doubles off the monster. And and that is just going to be amazing for the rest of the season. I can't imagine a better park fit for him, but yeah, Fenway can play like a very good offensive park. Uh, it's not quite Wrigley. It's not in the wind, but it, it's still, it's still amazing. When it's hot outside, uh, Bush plays really well, but when it's, when we get into the summer months, uh, guaranteed rate field is enormous for power, especially right-handed power. Interesting. I don't know why, uh, why right-handed power specifically, because it's a pretty symmetrical ballpark. I, I would assume it's because of wind patterns that it's performed a little bit better for right-handed hitting. That's really interesting. And then I want to circle back to Great American Ballpark. I think one reason people might not stack the Reds, for example, is, I don't know, man, TJ Friedel, Jake Fraley, like, yep. these are not exactly. names that you're like, I want to play these guys and put real money on them. And also, one guy I was super interested in in season-long leagues this year is Will Myers, who I think is, you know, he's still relatively young. He's 32. He's shown some power and speed back in the day. And he's been playing in Petco for so long that we've all just kind of forgotten about him. It's like he, we don't think of him as a 2020 threat anymore. And yet at Great American Ballpark, he might be. And he also might be one of the best hitters on the Reds over the course of a full season. Yeah. So he's probably going to be in the mix the whole time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, a guy like Will Myers is he's actually gone down in power um the last couple of years but you know you talk about adam duvall it's will myers is in a spot where if he gets it in the air it's gone right i think that's exactly right in fact this is a little bit off the rundown but i'm curious all of the players we were just talking about i know in daily fantasy you know you have a budget and you're looking to like hit that salary cap and max out your money as best you possibly can i don't imagine any of those players are super pricey on no. a daily basis <laughs> Not at all. I mean, another guy who I you know, made some money with the other night was Hassan Kim. Um, the Padres do not have a very good ballpark, but they have some guys with enormous power that's ballpark proof. And so you want to stack the Padres. Okay, Manny Machado is extremely expensive. Juan Soto is extremely expensive. Um, but Hassan Kim is usually a good, like, he's a budget guy. Austin Nola is a good budget guy. And if there's a good pit, there's a bad pitcher facing the Padres, they all get to face the same bad pitcher. And they're all going to have a good game or two or five throughout the season. If you manage your bankroll correctly, you can play Hassan Kim every single time you play the Padres, and you're going to get a big game from him. That He's a power speed guy, you know? That's a really interesting point. So I, I'm curious, do you like double down on the same guys over and over trying to hit that position, or do you look at it as a matchup dependent or weather dependent type of situation? Um, it depends what the projections show. But usually when I see a bump from their bat projections for the season onto a daily, you know, with the what they should average. Uh, so I take the I take the bat projections, the season projections, and I do divide them across the uh, like plate appearances. And then I multiply that by four and a half. And then I see if the daily what the what the difference is between their daily projection and that seal and that season projection, and I see if I can get a good ceiling game out of that guy. Oh, that's awesome. So you have an idea of who is going to have those higher ceiling games, and then you just try to bank on when you can predict those. Yeah, and those players usually get lower owned than the Manny Machados and the Juan Sotos who are consistently, you know, getting extra base hits. Are there any guys that are the higher price players that everybody's in on that you invest in? And sub-question, if there are, under what circumstances are you looking to roster those guys? Uh, when they have great matchups, obviously, is one. 
Um, when they have terrible matchups, I might just play them as a standalone. Uh, so Ronald Cunha against, um, let's say he's facing Jacob deGrom. deGrom strikes him, will probably strike him out three times, right? Uh, but Acuna has so much power that he gets it up in the air and it goes out of the ballpark. And if he just gets a single or a walk, DeGrom's really bad at holding base runners. So there's a good power-speed combination to just put one bat against him, you know, against DeGrom. That's just a situation right there. Uh, Aaron Judge can hit a home run against anyone. If no one's going to play him, well, shit, I mean, I'll try to fit him in. You know, is that, like, one guy who, you know, that one-off guy? Like, there's usually a one-off in most of my lineups. Well, and I imagine that if you're filling the rest of your lineup with guys who don't cost as much because you're trying to play some of those ballpark situations or those matchup situations, and you have the ability to speculate on one big threat. You mean with like the the star hitters? Yeah, like with the guys who are going to cost a a pretty penny of your daily fantasy budget. Which I usually don't want off them because they get highly owned in the great situations. So I want to stack around them. I want to okay. play. I'm not just going to play Aaron Judge. I'm going to play Stanton. I'm going to play Lemayhu. I'm going to try to fit Rizzo in. I'm going to, you know, I forget their who's the Volpe, the new shortstop. Yeah, Volpe. Yeah, I haven't played the Yankees yet this year, but um, you know, when I do, I'm he's going to be in there because he's going to be hitting. He's going to have Judge right after him. So there's a lot of correlation there. There's there's added points to having correlation in your lineup that the projections don't really see. There's a way to do it. Some people run simulations and, you know, Monte Carlo simulations of like 10,000 runs and whatnot. They can figure out the actual like correlation bump that people get, but I can eyeball a correlation bump. I mean, it's just logic. Um, Anthony, you know, Volpe is going to be, if he gets on base, he can steal a base and he's got chances to score from score a run from Aaron judge and Anthony Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton, you know, like those are just money shots right there. Right, so you're really betting on the core of a team rather than any individual player over the course of an extended period. Exactly. You know, uh, that dovetails nicely into the next question that I had here. You recently had an article that was looking at process, and I'm, I'm a huge process person. That's sort of everything I do in my day job and all of my habits. Like, I'm a long distance runner, which is... If I, I will not bore everyone about how you train for a marathon, but like it's all process. It's like you do two miles today and five miles tomorrow, and then you take a day yeah. off, and then you run 10 miles this weekend. And before you know it, you can run 26.2 miles. And I find I, I found that discussion really enlightening. So I'm curious, uh, in addition to what we've just talked about, how are you making your decisions on a daily basis for which teams and pitchers to stack? Outside of just like the ballpark situation, who it is that you like that you want to stack around, what other considerations are going into that? Simply, I want to get the highest projection for the least amount of ownership. So the article that I write, uh, I write it a couple days a week on stacks and how to pick your stacks. We're talking about how well they project and how many people are going to play them. And really, that's it. it you know, you can get deeper into the stats and deeper into the understats, but all the stats are in the projections. So we don't really need to double count a lot of these things. We can just stick with the projections and the projected ownership, which any site, any, any site that is worth listening to does both. And when you're talking projected ownership, you mean projected ownership of other players in daily fantasy, right? Yes. Yes. Projected ownership of that player versus, you know, like tonight. I mean, it was something, it was supposed to be the projected ownership of the raise was like, 15% and I think the I think Colorado is somewhere in like the 12% range and uh, you know that's a risk if you want to play those teams it's a risk that you're going to be you're going to not have unique lineups um, I choose to not take that risk of having the unique lineups people think it's the other way around that you're taking a risk by going by deviating from the field you're actually taking a big risk by going along with the field that's the lower risk position to go against the grain and find the great situation like tonight I had I had the Padres. You know, I played a lot of Padres against a novice lefty pitcher uh, who gave up a lot of home runs in the minor leagues. Why the fuck not? <laughs> like, <laughs> if no one's going to play them. And, there were, and Machado got a lot of ownership and uh, Soto got some ownership too. But Kim got like no ownership. Nola got like no ownership. So I get an edge in those, you know, we call them Sklansky bucks. It's in, you know, poker. But... Uh, it's the, it's the expected value that you might not get in the moment, but you get it over time. 
Uh, I want to circle back to what you were saying, because I think it's really astute and I want to dive into it a little bit. It is less risky to deviate than it is to go with what other people are doing. And and I, I think mathematically, I can sort of grok this just from the perspective of the number of people who are all doing the same thing. And the daily game is all about trying to be the unique one or five or 10 people who did something different so that you can split that big pot as opposed to trying to be the 150 people who all did the same thing. But can you talk a little bit about the math of that and the logic of why it is always better to try to find your own unique situation that is different from the norm? If we only did, let's say Daily Fantasy was one player. You only pick one player. And it's, you know, how Wilson many Contreras. No, one Wilson Contreras. Let's say it's Wilson Contreras. You have to pick a catcher who's going to score the most points that day. And let's say 99 people choose Wilson Contreras. And you know that 99 people are going to choose Wilson Contreras. Okay. It is to your advantage to pick up on Adley Rushman instead, because Wilson Contreras can have a four home run game, but you split num- you split number one ninety nine ways. But if Wilson Contreras has a zero, which everyone has a floor of zero in baseball, in every given day, if he gets a zero and Adley Rushman just gets a single, you get the whole pot. I yes, I like the way you explain that. And also, as long as Wilson Contreras is not playing the White Sox, who he absolutely goes off on all the time, uh, that is probably true that like two thirds of the time, any given player is going to put up nothing, right? It's the math of baseball, Um, which makes this such a different game, in my opinion, than playing daily fantasy football, which I, I have dabbled in a bit in the past, but but it's just you've got so many fewer possibilities in the outcomes for football than you do in baseball. Yeah. Well, you have a smaller pool of available players in football because of usage In football. There's a lot of usage that is given to a player by the coach and the scheme. And then there's then on other teams, you have them just like spread the ball around. You never know who's going to get the ball. So when you actually whittle it down to guys who you have good evidence, will get the ball. You have a very small pool of players, so the ownership gets kind of it's kind of coagulates in the second tier. That's super interesting. So let's talk specifically about pitchers. I think we spent a bunch of time on hitters and like how to identify hitters. I'm curious how you identify the pitchers that you're going with. Like when you're stacking for hitters, I have a great idea of like I want to grab all these guys from this team and I want to try to like play off of each of them so that I get all of their stats. How do you do your pitching uh, choices for a daily fantasy? I would say if you can't afford the bat projections, which like maybe you're just a smaller player and so spending the $350 is you know something you don't want to do. Um, one thing that you can do is Fangraphs has under the scores tab, probable pitchers. And you click on probable pitchers and you can sort those pitchers by whatever you want. Sort by FIP, sort by Sierra, sort by XCRA, you know. Find some sort of like run scoring differentiator to sort by and look at the look at the walks and look at the strikeouts. You know, in this game where we get win, we get points for wins, we get points for strikeouts and keeping guys off base. So it's really that simple. Strikeouts, keeping men off base and run prevention. You can look at those numbers and pretty much figure out who the best guys are. Um and what I'm saying is use the numbers because if you try to do it yourself without the numbers, you're going to fail. There's too much shit to compute in this game. You just can't do it on your own. You need some something else that's already calculated and use a, use a good sample, a year and a half, something like that. And you can make and then you can look at the matchups and you can probably eyeball the best pitchers along with the along with the rest of the field. Well, and what you just said about FIP in XERA in particular is super interesting to me because I love both of those stats as a proxy for who the pitcher is, as opposed to like what's going on around them, right? Like they, both of those stats are designed to give you an idea of what the actual pitcher is doing, not what their excellent defensive shortstop and excellent Mm -hmm. defensive second baseman are doing. Well, I should say the first thing you should look at, again, if you're not going to look at, um, if you're not going to use projections, it's probably just the Vegas line. Like, if you just took the Vegas lines and looked at the lowest implied total, which we do, we show up on Roto-Grinders for free, the first look every day, shows the implied the implied run total of every team. You can sort by that and pick one of the three lowest totals, and you'll probably have the right pitcher on the slate. 
Interesting. So tell me uh, and tell the listeners what an implied run total is. Like, how does that work? So you might see a line of, uh, let's say it's 105 and plus 105 for one team and minus 110 for the other team as a favorite. And the over-under is eight and a half. The implied run total is going to be about four for the the underdog, and it'll be around, you know, 4.4 for the for the favorite, and then there's a little bit of a buffer in between. Um, I don't actually calculate all of this, but that's the best way to explain it. It's just a, what is Vegas expecting this team to score on that de- on that on that occasion, given all the variables, and they probably do some sort of like a large. I don't, obviously, we don't know what Vegas does, but um, they run large simulations and they pick the medians, and they just they slap a line according to those medians, and then they adjust it to you know according to action. But um, you could take any, they don't adjust so much that, you know, you need to check it four or five times a day. If you check it an hour before the contest starts, you're going to get a good number. Well, and I love what you said about trusting the work that Vegas is doing, because, yeah, you're right. It's a black, it's a black box to some extent. Like, we don't know exactly what calculations they're running, but we do know that the house never loses. So it's one of those situations where they're it's like, numbers. yeah, they're good numbers for, for reality, right? They don't build hotels in the desert for nothing, right? (laughs) Totally. Uh, One question that I have, and I feel like this is kind of a newbie question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I feel like lots of people probably have this question when they dive into the Daily Fantasy game. Uh, Exactly. No silly questions. (laughs) No silly questions on this show. But uh, one of my friends in this business, Jordan Cooper, says the only stupid questions are the ones that have a yes or no answer or an exact number. Oh, that's, I like that answer a lot. And I, I also think that, you know, I've been around baseball a long time. I've been covering the Cubs and reading about sabermetrics and I love baseball and math. It's just something that I really get into, but I have questions about things all the time where I'm like, how did you calculate that? Why does it work that way? And I I feel like sometimes we're scared to ask those questions and there's a lot of knowledge in asking those questions and just getting the answer. So um, I ask those questions all the time. The guy who runs the bat, Derek Cardi, I shoot him stupid questions on Twitter all the time. And uh, he always answers me. He's a good guy. Well, and I love I love that you said that in particular because I mean I shoot you stupid questions, but there are lots of people in this industry that come to me for questions about the Cubs that I go to for questions about other teams or about processes or hey, why did this player get dropped in half of my leagues? Did I miss a memo on their playing time? Like what is going <laughs> on? Um, so don't feel silly asking questions that you think you should know the answer to. A lot of times we're doing it too. Um, on the question of your daily budget. How do you distribute that? And is it always necessarily better to spend all of it? Or sometimes you just want to leave money on the table because you have the best team that you possibly can have and you don't care that you have a little bit of extra money on the table. It's usually the second that you're trying to build the best team with the lowest ownership and salary be damned, especially in baseball. Um, Because there could be a time where, especially we don't get the 40-man rosters anymore, but back when you had the 40-man rosters, good example, you'd have a, a lineup of four quad A players and five triple A players, and they're facing a terrible pitcher. Um, well, all those guys are priced at the minimum or near the minimum. So you could end up leaving four or $5,000 on the table. And in those cases, it made sense. In the other sports, basketball, it makes zero sense to do so because so much of the price is related to their projection that um, when you leave four or 500 on the table, you're leaving points on the table. You're always leaving points on the table in basketball. If you start leaving like eight, nine hundred, one thousand dollars on the table, um, football, it's kind of the same thing. Outside of maybe the last week of the year, um, when guys, when a lot of bench guys come up, but in football, you want to spend a lot. Baseball, you don't have to spend all of your salary. I think that's really helpful, and I also think that that's one of those things that would be really easy for someone coming over from, say, an auction format to miss. Because you never want to leave auction dollars on the table when you're in an auction room, right? Like you want to spend, you want to bump up the $3 guy that you want more than the $2 guy or whatever. And in this particular format, that might not necessarily be the thing that you want to do. It happens. um, It happens when the season goes on and we'll see the uh, bad team, like the pirates and the Royals in good situations and one stud pitcher where, yeah, you end up leaving a thousand, two thousand dollars on the table. Like, that's who cares? You've got the right situation. You built a good lineup. It's plus EV. Everyone's floor is zero. Remember that. Everyone's floor is zero. 
whether it's Ronald Acuna or uh, Eli White, who's just come up. And Eli White can have a 24-point game because he gets a couple doubles, a single, and a steal, and two runs. You know, like, that's a very realistic line for a speed guy in the Braves lineup. Totally. And Ronald Acuna could just do nothing that day. Ronald Acuna can just do nothing that day. He can get thrown out. He's going to do that (laughs) two-thirds of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Two-thirds of the time. Gonna risk getting thrown out. Uh, this was all really helpful. I am going to ask you the same question that I ask everyone to close out the show, which is what is your one best piece of advice for a new ish daily fantasy baseball player? How should they approach the game? What should they be thinking about? Ask questions from winning players. People who have proven to do it because in this business, there may be only like, I don't know. I mean, I've heard some numbers that are off the wall, but if I were to guess, like I'm a very, very good player. I'm not one of the greatest players. Um, but I profit, and I think just by profiting, I'm somewhere in the 95th, 96th percentile of players. There's easily 90 to 95% of the people who are losing money, and they don't have to be losing money. And a lot of them don't because they don't have access to people to ask questions to. And you can ask questions of just about any tout out there. You can message them on Twitter, and they'll give you an honest answer. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the things that was most interesting to me getting into fantasy generally and just getting into daily fantasy too is people are really willing to like answer your questions, talk to you about their decision-making process. The generosity in this community in terms of sharing information and knowledge is unparalleled in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's very cool to be able to like chat with you about your process and what you're doing with it and to hear how how that how that all works and like to just drop in the dms and say hey what do you think about this over that and know that i'm going to get an honest answer and i think that that's a thing that um we're really lucky about in this community and people should take advantage of asking questions more often i'm part of why the tagline for the show is there are no silly questions (laughs) whatever questions you've got I am going to take them to whoever I've got on the show at this point in time. And honestly, this was a really fun episode, Alex, because you're introducing me to a format that I haven't really played a ton of. I I dabbled a bit in daily fantasy over the last few years, but I I hadn't thought about the process there as much as I thought about Roto, as much as I thought about head-to-head points and other leagues. So thank you so much for joining us today on What the Fab. Where can people find you and your work and your help for daily fantasy stuff? Well, rotogrinders.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Alex Sunty, S-O-N-T-Y. Awesome. Uh, Definitely follow Alex. He's the best. And you can follow me at at BCB underscore Sarah. We will be back next week looking at uh, some pitchers that you may have slept on who are putting up some stellar numbers to start the season with Mikey Ahedo. So you will want to be sure you are subscribed to the show. Uh, If you are not subscribed to the show yet, we should be in every podcast aggregator that you have. Just search for Fans for Sports Network Fantasy and you will find us. You will not want to miss everything from Mikey on Pictures next week and all of the other great guests that we have coming up this year. Till next time. 